I can. It's, it's like the new thing that happened. I can tell you guys now if you want. I don't. Or no, I let's do it on the podcast. Let's wait. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's kind of big. Like I almost like quit van life because of this event. When it happened <laughs> the next morning, this is this is me acting. I acted out of emotion, but I got pre-qualified. I got my pre-qualification letter for a house and almost <laughs> just bought something. Tell me, tell me, tell me what's a life? I've been feeling starstruck, seeing human love thrive in this really long dust. Guess it's really our love, seven billion of us, and I read the headlines. Tell me, tell me, tell me what's a life? It's part luck, surveillance, corn shuck the conscience, hot sauce, blood diamonds. Everybody pitching in for red with silence. Hi, I'm Michael. And I'm Obasi. So, my friend Michael and I have come into adulthood watching our world become more and more polarized. From political polarization, to income inequality, to how we even define what is real. It feels like schism and conflict are everywhere. Like everything is coming apart. It feels like we need some type of meta-solution. Regardless of the issue, like, how do we come back together? What does it look like to make peace? And at the same time, the world hasn't literally fallen apart yet. So people must be making peace on some level. So that's where we want to start. We want to learn who's making peace and how, and how we can apply that to the rest of our world. So join us as we try to find everyday peacemakers and learn what peacemaking means to them. Each episode, we'll learn one principle of peacemaking from our guest. These are featured as a growing tribute to our guests and their wisdom at principlesofpeacemaking.org. Today we hear from Quinn, who gave up his comfortable life and home to make peace with himself and his circumstances on the open road. As he faced life-threatening challenges on his own and met others who would harm him, he found ways of accepting himself and others where they're at. Which leads to this episode's principle of peacemaking, acceptance is a catalyst for change. So I am a software engineer who's been born and raised in Atlanta, homeschooled my whole life. I went through school and was just kind of doing the nine to five grind for a little while after COVID. Got, you know, the nice apartment, a car and everything like that. And um, ended up, I wanted to kind of switch up my day-to-day living situation and pursue van life. So I I do feel like I kind of have to preface or explain what it is because a lot of people don't fully understand. So essentially van life is the more modern trend of converting out a vehicle that you live in, whether it could be a Prius or an actual van. In my case, it's uh, an SUV, Honda Element. Converting that out into a micro camper and essentially living out of it either part-time, full-time, or just on weekends. And for me, I am what people call in the community a full-timer. So um I'm currently in my van now recording this and have been living out of a vehicle for the past three months or so. So, uh, yeah, that's that's van life for me. I can remember sophomore year of college. I had that desire, or really growing up in general, I've always had the desire to travel. And around sophomore year of college, I saw people just packing up in a car, going on road trips. And back then, I wasn't super exposed to, quote-unquote, van life or the van life community. 
Uh, it was more of just a vague, that would be cool if I could just throw everything in a bag, throw everything in my car, just go. Um, but of course, back then, I always knew that wasn't real, a realistic possibility because I didn't have any money in college, even though I had the time. And then once I finished college and started working, I had the money, but then I didn't have the time. And so it was just kind of something in the back burner. But it really resurfaced after COVID. So once COVID happened, I ended up working from home. My company said I'm going to be permanent work from home. And where I'm at in life, I don't have very many obligations that require me to be in a specific place. And so I just came to the realization that if traveling is something that I want to do, the longer I wait, the more difficult it's most likely going to become. So... So in a big way, this whole van life adventure is me making peace with where I am in life and with my own expectations of myself. For a long time, my expectations or I guess my value was driven by the things that I had or my career, my job and going through college. I was always striving to, you know, get the become an engineer or a developer and then once I get that, then get a nice apartment. And when then once I have a nice apartment, you know, get a nice car and with a 4K TV and just kept building, building, building on it. And there's really a moment where I looked up at my really nice apartment with all these things that I've always like kind of wanted and realized that I really still feel the same. Like I still don't feel I didn't feel that just sigh of relief and easiness that I thought I would feel when I thought about those things. And so that was kind of the catalyst of me realizing, okay, if I feel the same with all of these things and I felt the same without them, why don't I take a period of time to get rid of them and then grow personally on the inside to make peace with who I am and the things that I derive value from. And then once I make peace with that, be in a better place to move back into a more traditional lifestyle. And so it's really me trying to make peace with who I am and where I derive fulfillment, I would say. So the van life community runs parallel to the minimalist community. They're very different, but very similar in the sense that it's really about reducing your lifestyle down to the things that you truly need. And it almost magnifies the joy that you get from other things. So today, uh, right before this podcast, I took out my little camping stove, cooked up some uh, ground beef and rice, just put some salt on it and some uh, a can of green beans. Super simple, super basic, but it was an extremely enjoyable meal. And just thinking about back about that right now, it almost like tastes better than the very fancy like gourmet meals that I made in my apartment. And it's just ground beef, rice, and a can of beans. And so for me, it's really just reducing down to the things that I really, really need and enjoy. And then I find enjoyment, more enjoyment in the simpler things in life. And then that kind of helps me figure out, okay, what things do, am I actually like what things do I actually need in my life versus crowding everything out with just things that don't matter.
that that makes some kind of sense to me, but I feel like there is a roadblock, which is that you have all this stuff, um, and you have this nice apartment, and you have this nice life, and like I feel like that's the thing for a lot of people is like, you know, I would like to maybe make this change in my life, but I'm not gonna give up my you know 4K TV and my like comfortable apartment and stuff. Um, so how why is it that like like how are you able to like let go of those things? Yeah, um, I think it can kind of be summed up by something one of my friends told me not long ago, which is choose your hard. And when I was really, when I was in the final stages of deciding whether or not to sell pretty much everything and go live remotely, I'm just, I was thinking back about living in my apartment and there's just this restlessness of seeing what the world was like, seeing that I had the ability to go and do it, but then just waking up, working for eight hours and going back to sleep every day. And while that sounds nice, I'm sure to some people who work different kinds of jobs, after a while, it just became difficult for me. Like, it was just hard. And weighing that against living in a car, like, this is not easy. Van life is not easy at all. This is very hard. But I was like, staying in my apartment is hard. Potentially venturing out into the unknown is hard. But which heart am I going to choose? And I decided to choose the one that had a greater potential for upside for me. So yeah, van life has definitely had its ups and downs, but overall, it's been a really eye-opening experience. I do remember when I first started that first week, it was very cold in the winter, uh, I believe the temperatures were getting down to around 20 degrees, which is crazy for Georgia. And I remember this is my first week in the van. I don't fully know if this is going to last. Like, I have a plan to get an apartment if I need to. And um, I'm sleeping, and then I wake up because it's freezing. And I don't know if anyone's woken up because they were too cold, but it's just not a great experience. And luckily for me, I have an electric blanket and a uh, propane heater. And so I turn the heater and I click, click, click. And how it works is you have to like ignite it and then it stays on. But it just doesn't work. It's just broken. And I'm freezing cold. I plug in my electric blanket, turn it on high. And I didn't realize that because the sun wasn't out the day before, my solar panels didn't charge my batteries. I'm out of battery. And so now I'm actually kind of concerned because it's maybe like 15 degrees in the car and I can't move my hands. It's I'm just super concerned. And so I'm like, OK, let me just start the car. I'll just I'll just do that. And then I can't find my keys because it's my first day and there's so much stuff in my van. I just I, I can't find the keys. My heater doesn't work. And yeah, it was kind of terrifying. Um. But luckily, eventually I found the keys, was able to start the car, made it through, through night one. But it doesn't get too much better because night two, I fix my propane heater, turn it on, accidentally fall asleep, and then I'm woken up by my carbon monoxide detector, just going beep, 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 beep. And then I see the heater isn't, is not lit, but the gas is still turned on. And so now I'm freaking out panting and frantic and I can actually feel it's like more difficult to breathe 
it may be it was CO2 built up or I don't know what it was, but then I like roll down the windows and I think I'm about to just pass out right there. And um, yeah, I just open up both doors, go outside in the 15 degree weather in my socks. And yeah, it was just kind of scary. Just having my carbon monoxide detector go off, go back to sleep, it goes off again. This happened for like two or three nights in a row until I figured out what was going on. So <laughs> long story short, it was very it was very trying when I first started off, but I told myself it's gonna be difficult, it's gonna be hard. I have to choose what hard I want to basically endure through. And so I said I have to do this for at least a month and um went through that week, which led into I guess the brighter times of van life. So after that, maybe about a couple of weeks later, I decided to take a trip to Florida. Just, just I just wanted to go to Florida. I just love the beaches down there. And so I drove down to, I believe, Panama City Beach, or maybe it was St. Augustine. But I drove down to Florida without a super solid plan, without making any hotel reservations. I just typed in beach in Florida and clicked driving directions. <laughs> it took me straight there. And... um yeah, it was such a great experience driving out on the beach, working, um, and that was another thing. So I worked from home, and this wasn't a vacation. This was me just living in Florida for about a week, week's time. And so I'm on um, my my Zoom meetings while parked on the beach looking out at the ocean, and it's just a really peaceful, it's just a, it was a realization that came over me, like, wow, there's a lot of trials and difficult things that led up to this. But because I chose to do the hard thing prior to this, it led into having an experience that I wouldn't otherwise have. And for me, that experience outweighed the experience of watching a 4K t uh, OLED TV or um, having a dishwasher or something like that. But even though there's been a lot of great times with van life and a lot of growth, it hasn't been all um, all moving uphill. And as I've been kind of saying and, and echoing that you have to choose your hard, there's sp definitely parts of van life that were harder than others. Specifically, something that happened to me maybe three or four days ago. And this is something that... Um, when you're preparing for this, they always tell you to prepare for, uh, don't have a blind eye to things like things do happen, but I never actually thought of what really happened to me in the way that it did. And when it happened <laughs> the next morning, I, I almost like just cut my plans off, cut my plans short. And this is, this is me acting, I acted out of emotion, but I got pre-qualified. I got my pre-qualification letter for a house and almost <laughs> just bought something. But yeah, um, so what happened was I was parked in a, a hotel parking lot. That's kind of where I like to like to be because people are coming from out of state. They have stuff on top of their cars. It's like normal to see a car that's got stuff on top of it pull in at night and then just stay that no one recognizes. Um, I'm at a pretty well-known like hotel, but I'm parked 
in the back, which I normally don't do, but I was just tired. I just parked back there. A totally normal night. Get ready for bed, put my bed down, and just go to sleep. Nothing out of the normal. And then around 4 a.m. the morning, I hear, like, knocking on my window. And I'm like, why is someone knocking on my window at 4 a.m.? It's a hotel. And I don't think too, too much of it. I mean, in the past, I've literally had, like, acorns from a tree fall on my car, and it sounded like knocking. So I was like, okay, it's probably just nothing, but, like, let me just slowly get up and see what's going on. It might just be someone, and they'll just go away. And I don't hear any more knocking, but, but uh, yeah, so I don't hear any more knocking. And I'm like, okay, that's just basically it. And then I hear, like, this machine, like, metal rubbing up against metal kind of a thing and so one of my biggest fears is that a tow truck is going to come and like tow me away in the car like that's that's just something i'm always thinking about so i'm like okay i'm looking out the back window and uh saying is there a tow truck behind me i'm like no there's no tow truck behind me i'm looking out the right window i'm like there's nothing over here and then i look out to the left window and i see a dark gray suv parked right next to me with like a guy in the past, like two guys in the front seat and there's someone else walking around. And this is 4 a.m. I'm just woken up out of my sleep. I have no idea what's going on. And so I like pull down my window covers cause you can't see you inside of the car. But I pull down my window covers. I'm like, hey, what's going on? What's going on out there? And then he just looks so frantic and scared. And then I realized that all three of these guys have black ski mask on. But I didn't really realize it at the time, but they had black ski mask on. And then I'm yelling like, hey, what's going on? What's going on? And I see them running around and I hear like grinding under the car. And I'm like, oh, no, they're stealing my catalytic converter. That's like they're trying to do something like that. And so I turn on the car while he's under the car and they had already taken it. But basically, when your catalytic converter isn't on, your car is just super loud. It's, it's just super obnoxious sounding. But it's under the car. I turn the car on, and then I, like, put it in reverse because I can't drive forward. Um, and so I, I, like, back out. And then they tried, they back out as well, try to, like, drive around me. And there's only one way to kind of get out of this parking lot. So I'm basically like going back and forth, blocking them. I'm like honking the horn and yelling at them. And then they're trying to get away. And it's basically playing the game of chicken where like they almost ran into my car. I almost ran the guy over, but I was like, that's too much therapy to run over a person. So let me just, <laughs> it's not worth it. <laughs> so um, they eventually got, so spook where there was a median like it was a really large median and it was uphill but they like got, went back and they got speed and then just jumped over the median into the next parking lot and then just booked it down the road onto the highway and uh yeah then my car my car was pretty much just destroyed um after taking it to the mechanic the next day He's like, yeah, they had just taken the inverter. It'd be like 600 bucks, but they cut so... They just cut up pretty much the entire bottom of the car. It cost about $2,000. And, um, yeah, so... After that, I mean, I was I was definitely reconsidering, like, is this hard? Like, I, I knew it was going to be hard, but is it supposed to be this hard? But um, kind of thinking back about it right now, I'm two or three days out... I actually don't have any 
bitterness towards the guys. Like, I've really made peace with the situation and them personally. And maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should still be mad. But where I was parked, I was right next to Kennesaw Campus. And the guy, I held eye contact with him for, like, a good maybe two minutes as he was trying to get away. Maybe it wasn't two minutes, but it was a good amount of time. And I think that they were college students. I don't know for sure, but... I've just kind of made peace with the situation, just thinking, like, if you're at the point where you're just going around stealing catalytic converters for, like, $50 each, committing multiple felonies, like, I just think if you had another option, then you probably would do that other option. And I'm not in a position where I have to do that, and so I'm fortunate in that way. And so, yeah, it sucks. I had to spend $2,000 on my car. It's not even worth that much. But I've just kind of made peace with it because at the end of the day, we all have to answer for the things that we do here on Earth. And that's not my job to be mad. Like, that's not going to—I'm not going to grow by holding bitterness towards someone else for being in whatever position that they found themselves in. I have a bunch of questions now. <laughs> you know, you came to forgiveness— or, or, you know, peace. I, I don't know if you said forgiveness, but you came to peace um, by empathizing with what position this person might must be in. Also, in the moment, you weren't letting them get away. So I'm curious <laughs> right. about what you were thinking about at that moment in terms of kind of justice and peacemaking. What was the motivator to not let them get away? Like holding that, like, I would have been just too terrified to do anything, but let, like, <laughs> please get as far away from me as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, so I am curious. Yeah, yeah. It's actually something I've grown in my understanding of forgiveness, which is that forgiving someone isn't letting them do whatever they want. You can forgive someone and have peace with someone without with having boundaries. And to be honest, in the moment, I didn't, 100% know what was going on. I just knew that they were trying to steal something or do something or um, cause harm. And my goal in that moment was just to stop them so that the police could get there in time. Um, like I had I had a taser on me, but I knew not to get out and try to confront them because it's, it's just not worth it. Like I wish I had more of like a methodical, like heroic answer, but it was really just how people are to say fight or flight. And I, I try not to let my mind go make up random scenarios because there could be an infinite number of outcomes. But I don't know. I just hope that they seemed really young. And the guy driving, just he looked more scared than I was. Like, they, I don't think they knew I was actually in the car. And I don't know. Like, like, this might not happen. They might still be doing it out tonight. Who knows? But I just imagine, like, maybe this was a wake-up call for him and— He'll like get his life on track, go to church, <laughs> be a, a pastor or something. I don't know, but yeah, no. I love the hope in that, and I also love that um, in your terror, you could see the greater amount of terror in his eyes in that moment. Yeah, yeah. And it's really weird. The past few days, I've been going into just the stores that are around the area, just my normal day-to-day -day life, just looking at people, like, just looking at people, trying to see if I see, like, this the same guy. 
Because I feel like if I see him, I feel like my like my spirit will recognize him. Like I'll just be I'll be aware that it is him. And like I said, I have zero bitterness at all towards him. Like if you're in that position, like I want to just talk to you. I want to help you. I want to see like where you are in your life and um, help someone else make peace with where they are in a similar way that I'm exploring making peace of my own. So if you saw him, what would you do? So I don't, I, I would definitely, so I would definitely be consulting um, the Holy Spirit and praying about the way to go about it. But I don't think I would, if I really believed it was him, I don't think I would bring up the experience because maybe he will recognize me or, or maybe he won't, wouldn't. But um, I really just treat him like any other person that I would want to kind of pour into and, and to help. Like sometimes so homelessness is a really big thing that I I just hate to see. And if I see uh, someone who's homeless, I have like just money in my car to give out specifically to people. And sometimes it's just give the money real quick. But other times, if I just feel I need to spend more time with them, I'll actually, like, stop and talk with them and have a deeper interaction. And I would probably do a similar thing with him where not bring up the situation, but just treat him as a person who needs needs to talk. So, yeah, um, experiencing people robbing you in the middle of the night was definitely pretty terrifying um really fearful but i know for myself i don't like to live in a place of fear but at the same time fear is an emotion that our bodies use to basically tell us something is wrong and that we need to react and respond to it so being being three or four days out i've basically taken the fear that i have i'm not fearful anymore but what I did with it was realize that I need to be very intentional and methodical in just in life in general, but specifically for uh, for van life. And specifically what that looks like for me in my life is that van life is really a means, not a means to an end, but it's a vessel for growth for me. This isn't a lifestyle that I'm going to I plan on having for like the next five, 10 years or anything like that. This is really a vehicle for me to grow into the next phase of life. Um, Because the goal is to um, get a traditional house, get a traditional family, do the traditional, what people would generally consider uh, being an adult would be like. And through the fear of uh, the experience with the guys at night, it really just kind of refocused me on what's the goal right now and what's the goal I'm trying to reach in the future. And so um, now I've taken steps to make sure that a similar experience doesn't happen again. So um, I've got a 360-degree camera system, alarm system, several other personal defense items that I don't really like to get into just so I don't don't want people to know exactly what I have. But I've taken uh, multiple, multiple and some costly steps to make sure that um, I'm not being unsafe and unwise moving forward, but at the same time, not letting fear consume me. And on the same note, I'm also being more intentional, planning on how I'm going to transition out of fan life. 
so that's insane. Everything about this is is wild, and you've given us a lot to think about. It is getting late, as I can tell. So Quinn is in his car, his van right now, um, and it was outside of his windows. I used to see other cars driving by, but now I just see his his very special lighting arrangement. It looks like stars in the in the car and in the sky behind him. His Christmas lights. It's time to call this one to a close. Um, so is there any one idea that's kind of salient to you that, that's sticking in your mind about peacemaking that you think we should take from this episode? Yeah, so going through this fan life experience, I think the big thing that I've realized is that we should always be striving to make peace with who we are and where we are in life. And that's honestly the only reason I've been able to do this whether it's from making peace with myself, feeling discontent and restless in my apartment, or making peace with the guys who um, basically stole from me in my car. And I really see making peace being very tightly coupled with forgiveness. Forgiving someone is oftentimes something seen as something for the other person's benefit, but ultimately forgiveness is more impactful for ourselves because when we hold bitterness in our in our hearts, bitterness for other people or situations, it can just eat you up from the inside. And even if it's not that impactful, it just takes the joy out of things that should be joyful. And so I just see it as being super important to make peace with our situations, but also make peace with ourselves. Um, and this is still a journey I'm going on being in the middle of fan life, but I can just, I just feel better now having addressed, I feel better addressing that I wasn't at peace with myself at my apartment. Uh, just being in that apartment, living by myself, I just had the desire to be married, to be in a relationship, to have a dog and kids and the stereotypical white picket fenced house and everything. And it was just a restlessness over over the year and a half. I was there just being, being there by myself. And a big part of van life was making peace with the fact that I am in this season of my life alone, which isn't a negative thing. And that's something that I've really made peace with myself is that being alone isn't something to run away from. Being alone isn't something that we should necessarily seek to get rid of, but we should make peace with where we are in life and when we do that, then life can be so much more just fulfilling in general. Thank you, Quinn, for being on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your time, um, sharing your, your van with us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks for uh, coming, coming along this ride with me. Tell me, tell me, tell me what's a life. I've been feeling starstruck, seeing human love thriving. This really long dust. Guess it's really our love. Seven billion of us, and I read the headlines. Tell me, tell me, tell me what's a life? It's pot luck, surveillance, corn shuck the conscience, hot sauce, blood diamonds. Everybody pitching in forks red with silence. We already ate up that cone bread of kindness. Oh, it's something in between We got stories in our stories No one's stories what it seems As we stumble, as we fall We watch each other and we scream If our weaknesses are glory It's more glory to be seen This has been the Peacemakers Podcast Produced and hosted by me, Obasi Shaw And my co-host, Michael O'Brien The intro and outro song, What's a Life Is by me and produced by Eerie Skies 
The interludes are produced by Gabe Gladstein of the pop duo Running On Everything. If you liked this episode and want to reflect more, come visit our website at principlesofpeacemaking.org, where you can find more of our content and information on how to support us. Our guest today was Quinn Breedlove. Thanks, Quinn. And thank you for listening. Now go and make peace. <laughs>